want to welcome you to Genesis Community Church, where we are finishing the book of Exodus by discussing the tabernacle. Now, I want to start by just asking you this question. When you think of God, what do you think of? When you think of God, so you just imagine, imagine your, your view of God what do you think of? Now, now many people might have uh, that picture of Caucasian Jesus in their mind um, because that's the one we grew up with. If we grew up in churches, we often saw that picture. It's probably inaccurate. I hate to burst your bubble. At the same time, uh, some of us probably view God as just kind of all out there, you know, like we just, out there in the sky. It, like, just at a great distance, really hard for me to, to find or to get to. Some people just look at it as, as just brightness, right? Like, like, it's just really bright out there. And, and so when you go to God, you just go to something that's really bright and different. And so you just, you, you get there that way. And so uh, I think all of us, if we just ask that question, we, we have some vision or view of, of what God is, or, or what God might look like, or, or where God might dwell even, how God might live. And we go, hey, this is, this is probably what it's like. This is probably, probably what it's like. But it often always includes brightness, light. Jesus may or may not be there in your vision, right? Like the, but, but the scriptures do say Jesus is the image of the invisible God, so it's a safe bet. We, probably, we just don't know what Jesus looked like. But there's just some imagination we have where maybe it's the, the visions that we've been given by, by the, the world, the pictures we've been given, the way we've talked about it. There's just this gap between us and God, and God's out there, and he's bright, and it's kind of really cool, uh, and we can't wait to be there playing a harp, wearing a robe. But God might also seem, I can ask you this question, like, does God care God might, might come across to some people in this room as distant and, and unconcerned, perhaps, with life. Uh, there's you know, a certain worldview that just kind of talks about God as a, a watchmaker. And he makes the watch and then kind of leaves the watch to do what it's supposed to do. And you can move on from there. So we have this view maybe of God, God being distant, but maybe God being unconcerned about us. Or maybe we're going through something in life and we think... I'm not sure God even cares. I'm not even really sure God knows what's going on right now. Is he even aware of the problem that I'm dealing with? Is he even interested in this? All these views of God that we have, that we're taught, that we just kind of surmise as we go, they're all there, but they're all inaccurate. They're all inaccurate. I would say probably even today for the Christian in the room, you probably have views or thoughts of God that are inaccurate. Right, so we always have to go back to the scripture to be, be corrected in how we're viewing things or how we approach things or what we expect to see in certain items or in certain events. And what we get today, Brad read it, is the tabernacle. Now, interesting about the tabernacle, I just want you to think about this. you find this as you read about it. Uh, the tabernacle was used, I, I, I want to say it's not all the way up until the temple because it just kind of gets to Shiloh and then we start not knowing where it goes. The Ark of the Covenant starts to move around. But the tabernacle, as we see it here, as a temporary place for God to dwell, is a really important part 
of the nation of Israel's history, but it also serves as a really important part of how we understand future, like the future and what God is doing and what God is working and even what Jesus does and what the Lord is building into the future beyond even this point now. And so the tabernacle prefigures some things for us that can help us in our understanding of God. What God is like and how interested God is in us. How interested God is in us. So what are we going to see in the tabernacle today? Well, we're going to see some of its design, its construction. But then we get to see this whole concept of tabernacle and God's purpose for it. God's purpose for it and then what comes from it. And for those of you who like pictures, we got them. We have pictures today. So if you're a picture person, this is your sermon. There you go. There you go. So some of it is in Exodus 25. Some, Exodus 35, Brad didn't read that. Exodus 40, Exodus 35, Exodus 25. But we'll also be into Numbers for a passage. We'll also be in the Gospel of John. We'll also be in Revelation. So just buckle up, buttercup. We're going. We're going to start with God's design for the tabernacle. And not, not every little piece of it, we'll see a picture of it in a moment, but, but we just start with this, Exodus 25, 1 and 2. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution from every man whose heart moves him, shall you receive the contribution from me. So, so first, how does it come about? God's giving this tabernacle. He gives lots of instruction. He instructs on how to build a tabernacle longer than he created the world. Like, there's a lot of instruction going on in the tabernacle. Precision in the tabernacle that you see, right? It's like the world's nothing. Israelites, you got to build it. Like, God can build the tabernacle in a moment. Israelites, they need a lot of instruction on how to get this thing just right. And so, how does it come about? Well, first, the expectation from God is that it comes about from the glad and, and just joyful contributions of the nation. Everyone whose heart serves. Not only that, but that the Lord provided skilled craftsmen and craftswomen in order to construct all that was there. Which is awesome because God is saying, build the tabernacle, but also, he's going to provide the instruction, but also within you, people exist who are actually going to bring it to be. Right. So God gives the instruction, but he's going to use the offerings of the people and the skill set which he has given to the people in order to bring it about. So the free will offering of the nation, Exodus 25-2, the glad contribution to the work of God is just first, how, does it, how do they show up with all this stuff? But then it was constructed by people of skill. And you see some of this, you'll see the combination of these two ideas in Exodus 35. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is Exodus 35, verse 20, departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for the holy garments. Because the tabernacle included how like Aaron the, or the high priest was going to dress with this nice blue thing with bells and pomegranates at the bottom. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets and all sort of, I said brooches and I broche. Every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord and 
everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns of fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ramskins or goatskins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution. And everyone who possessed acacia wood or any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands and they all brought what they had spun. Blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skills spun the goat's hair. And the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work of the Lord had commanded, uh, the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. I mean, we get into like the, the, the tabernacle, like, wait a minute, how far apart are these supposed to be, and how, how high is it, and whatever, like, how's this, and how's that? All these things are going on, but we don't realize, maybe, is that all of this is coming to be because people are just so glad to contribute. To contribute. And it reminds me that God is always, God is always providing within his people what he needs to accomplish his work. He's always providing in his people what he needs to accomplish his work. He's the one directing it. I mean, did you hear the theme that that Brad read in Exodus 40? As the Lord commanded Moses. 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 So he's instructing. He's giving the command on how it's going to look and how it's going to be built, how everything's going to be set up. But he provides also the people within it to bring about what it is to look like. Now, now, maybe our analog for our world is that God has put us together as his church and he has gifted us with ways to build up the body, right? Ways to build up his church. And he's actually given us gifts that build up his church that are to be used in order to, in order to bring about his plans for us. And it's funny because <laughs> the, sometimes the only time, and I'm just this is a little bit of a joke and a digression, but, but just go with me here. Sometimes the only time we talk about the tabernacle is when we're doing building campaigns. Right? Like, like, like we only talk about the tabernacle and it's like, well, look what Israel did. Like, like, so we're super New Testament until we got to build a building. And then we're going right back into that Old Testament because we need your money. Now, the scriptures do, in 2 Corinthians, speak about joyful giving. The mission of God is always moved along by, contributed to, by the joyful, free will offering of God's people. Right? In the church, there's no percentage demanded. We don't exist in a, in a theocratic model or a monarchy where our contributions are moving along the priesthood and, and providing for all these other parts of cultural life. We live in a different world, a different space. There's no like, hey, give this percentage. You must give this percentage. And, you know, or you could give this percentage. There's nothing, none of that. But what, what theme exists we see here and we see there is that the contribution is glad and joyful. Yeah, everyone whose hearts are stirred, everyone whose hearts are stirred, bring it on. But building things is one of the times that it becomes really easy to get heart stirred because we like stuff, right? We want our grandkids to have nice facilities and nice things. And so, right, like, like I get it, but there's much more going on here because God's giving the instructions for the tabernacle, and the tabernacle is going to have a purpose that we'll get to in a moment. 
And he's providing all the ways. He's given all of these people and all of their skill set. And, and their hearts are stirring that they might contribute to what's going on. And that really is, I mean, that's the ministry you love. The ministry you love is a ministry where everyone's like, I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. Give me I was talking to somebody, I think it was this week, um, about uh, discipleship and, and talking to people about the Lord. And, I, and I, I heard this before years back, and it's kind of stuck with me. It's like, I don't want to talk to, like, just kind of people who are okay with God. Like, I either want you to want to be for him, or I want you to not care about him. Like, I can use those. Like, give me those two poles, right? Give me I'm in, or give me I'm totally out. Don't give me, yeah, sort of, until you kind of ruffle my feathers. Like, that, that's the lamer part. Right? But isn't so much of our life trying to convince a, a subsection of people that it's really worth it? I'm like, give me the people who don't think God's real. I'd love to talk to them. Right? Give me the people who are totally in and just want to learn and just kind of absorb it all. Right? Like that, that, those are the people that God's going after as the tabernacle's being constructed. Everyone whose heart stirs them. Do it. And you might never think, man, I love to spin yarn. It's like, I got a place for you. I have a place for you. My buddy Adam, when he was preaching this, like somebody, somebody had to make tent pegs, right? Like, you, you like, like, like somebody's, somebody's just, <laughs> they're making everything. Like, oh, I love to sew. You can sew. I love to hammer gold. You can hammer that. I love to create ephods. I'm in, right? Like they're giving themselves and they're bringing their gifts and they're just doing it and it is awesome. And what this is, is you see it set up, right? So it has this way it came about, and as you see it set up, there is this kind of successive holiness. So picture number one is just kind of this construction of the tabernacle, which is actually going to be uh, bigger or smaller than, than you thought. So it's this courtyard. It's roughly 100, um, what, what would it be, 150 feet long by about 30 feet wide, that's just the courtyard itself, right? So just the tent around the courtyard, not very big. The tabernacle itself, tabernacle itself is just 45 feet by 15 feet, roughly, or 30 feet by 15 feet, I'm sorry. And so you just have like, it could fit in this room, the tabernacle itself. The Holy of Holies is this 15 foot by 15 foot square. That, that's all that it is. And so we might think like it's just a gigantic thing, but you have to remember it was portable, the people need to be able to take it down and put it together and march along and then reconstruct it. I mean, 15 by 15, I mean, like the Holy of Holies is like this space right here, right? Not where I'm preaching, please, no. And everything that it's set up, so you see the altar, the four-horned altar, you see the basin, and then inside you have the holy place and the most holy place. Like there's all these kind of successive levels of holiness and where you get in. Well, what do we do in Exodus 19 but learn about God's holiness? Certain people, you know, Moses can go up on the mountain. Israelites can't go up on the mountain. If they go on the mountain, they're going to die. So we have that idea. But we also have just, you know, I think the next one is, is just, just a picture of it. There's actually a replica in Israel, and that's what it looks like. Right? Like, like it's... it's you might, it's rather unspectacular when you look at it like that. I mean, there's dumpsters in the back. I think those are dumpsters. Um, they weren't there. So Timna Park is a park in Israel that's currently closed, right? But, like, you can go there. Courtney and I have been there. And you can just kind of walk around and see what it was like. And the thing that you get surprised by is just how small it is. I think we have the, ta- yeah, that's actually the, 
that's the tabernacle itself. I think that guy in the red shirt is my friend Matt, and then there's Eric in the white shirt. We went like 13 years ago. Uh, Tim, I can't remember, I remember all these names. I haven't talked to these guys in that long. So like it's just this space that's not gigantic. Now Eric is pretty tall, so he's not to scale. He's a tall guy. And you can go, like, there you can go in and see things and all this other stuff. I don't think we have pictures of what you can see. Oh, I do. Oh, look at that. Now, in 1 Samuel 6, you look in that thing and you die, right? Like 50,000 people, 56,000 people get wiped out. So you have the mercy seat and you have the Ark of the Covenant, right? Like, it's a good thing this is Indiana Jones. You have somebody's arm there, <clears throat> taken by me or Courtney ourselves. But, like, there's the budded... There's the budded staff. There's the Ten Commandments that are inside. Like, but that, that was the space. And you, and you realize, oh, wait, wait. It's not, it's not the space that makes something holy, is it? It's not the space. It's, it's the Lord. <laughs> that, that holiness isn't a, isn't a space. It's, it's that place where God is. It's that thing that he declares as holy. That's actually a pretty small little room, 15 by 15, right? Many of you have bedrooms bigger than that. But yet, what do we have here? A place where God was being worshipped and ministry was going on even in that space. The tabernacle. With the tabernacle itself, minus the courtyard, fitting right here in this space. With the Holy of Holies being this little square, kind of partitioned out. So why this space? Why this space? Well, God gives his purpose for the tabernacle. We actually see that in 25.8. In 25.8, we read this. Let them make me a sanctuary that I might dwell in their midst. Let them make for me a sanctuary that I might dwell in their midst. That's Exodus 25.8. So God is giving his purpose. Now you have to think about this. Think about this with me. If you're familiar with the book of Genesis, after the Garden of Eden, God is not dwelling He's not in presence with his people like that. After the Garden of Eden, that's done. Think about a time in the book of Genesis where the Lord is dwelling in an ongoing way with his people. It does not exist. It doesn't exist. God will visit. God will speak. God will minister. There will certainly be interactions. But there is not a a place where you can go and worship and meet with God. Now think about Exodus. In the book of Exodus, what do we begin with? But Moses seeing God in a burning bush. But is God always in a burning bush? Like revealing himself in that way? No. That seemed to have happened once. <laughs> like, right? And then God is showing his power through the plagues. But has something, like, like is God's presence there? Or is it in Goshen? No, but he's still preserving the people in the land of Goshen as the plagues are going on. Now, he is leading them as a uh, fire and as a cloud, but there's not this specific place that he is. This is the first time, this is the first time that God states his expectation of dwelling through the tabernacle. 
Now, what has, what has changed for us is that God is establishing a nation. As he's establishing a nation, they have a place of worship, a place of engagement. As this goes on. Now, you see then, as you go all the way through into Exodus chapter 40, as everything gets constructed, starting in verse 34, the cloud covered the tent of meeting. So now it's at a place. It's at a specific place. It's at the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. I don't know what the glory of the Lord is, but that word means weight or presence, heaviness, significance. So the presence of God was there. and Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And he wasn't a high priest. He was ministering in a different way. The priestly line is, though they are both priestly, Aaron is, and his line are different. So Moses does all this stuff, and he can't even go in to see it when he's done. Because God has expectations on how his people engage with him. He has ways to engage, and Moses has a role Moses is fulfilling his role for the people, but he couldn't go in because the presence was there throughout all their journeys. Remember, the cloud was taken up over the tabernacle. The people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, they did not set out till the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, the fire by night, and the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. And so God is now, though it's similar language to what we see in the wilderness wanderings, now it's specific. the specific presence is at the tabernacle. But Why? Because God said it would be. Because that's the way that God is setting it up. He has a place now, and he's giving a system where his people can engage him. That sacrifices can be made. That sin can be forgiven. There's a space where he is providing with the recognition that his people will not measure up. That he is providing a space and a place where that type of ministry and worship and offerings can be made so that they might walk with him. So first, the purpose of the tabernacle is that God might dwell with and lead his people. It also then provides for them, it provides for them a way to worship, we just said. Now the tabernacle kind of moves around, and then like I said, as you kind of get into Samuel, you start to, you don't know where it is anymore. Like it just, it, it just kind of loses emphasis. Philistines steal the ark, ark moves around, it stays at somebody's house, and so the tabernacle, right, the ark is kind of what makes the tabernacle what it is, what's going on in the Holy of Holies. And so as that starts to move around, we do kind of lose some level of awareness as we're reading the histories on where the tabernacle went, where it is. But it was in Shiloh for quite some time. Shiloh for quite some time. Now, other thing the tabernacle was able to do, both, both as it was leading, a place where God would dwell and lead, and a place for the people to worship, is that tabernacle was communicating God's holiness to his people. Remember that there's a construction. There's actually a way that God would expect the people to camp out around the tabernacle. Like it wasn't like, hey, let's have a sleepover at the tabernacle. Like that wasn't a thing. So God actually provided a way for the, the people to, the, the tribes to arrange themselves around the tabernacle. But who is immediately around it? The Levites. And the Lord tells us why. 
Listen to this. Numbers chapter 1. When the tabernacle is set out, the Levites, who are priestly, they're ministers on behalf of the nation, they shall take it down. And when the tabernacle is to be pitched, the Levites shall set it up. And if an outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. The people of Israel shall pitch their tents by their companies, each man in his own camp and each man by his own standard. But the Levites shall camp around the tabernacle of testimony so that there may be no wrath on the congregation of the people of Israel. And the Levites shall keep guard over the tabernacle of the testimony. So what, what does it, I mean, think about this. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. But what are you seeing but a visible demonstration of God's holiness, God's uniqueness, God's set-apartness, God's otherness. A clear representation that God is different. So the tabernacle shows up. Right? God gives instruction that he's gifted his people. They're giving their offerings. But his intent is that he might dwell with his people, that they might worship him, that they're going to recognize his holiness, that the Levites camp here so that no one else in the congregation is going to be consumed or so no wrath may come upon them. Only the Levites can take it down. Only the Levites can set it back up. All of that is communicating that God has ways in which you engage him. He has ways in which you engage him. And it, remember who wants to build God a, a house? Not a tent, but a house. David. David wants to build God a house. Like, you need a house, you know? It's, you, need a, you need a place. And, and if you remember the Lord's response, it's essentially like this. I've been in a tent forever. I don't need a house. I don't need a house. Why? Because again, holiness and presence is that, where, that place where God is. It's, it's, not, it's not the space itself. It's not the space itself. It's, it's the space plus the presence of the Holy One. Like, like that, that's, that's what it is. That's what makes the space holy. So at the burning bush scene in early Exodus, when the Lord says, take off your sandals for the place you're standing is holy ground, why is it holy? Because God's there. Because God's there. At the tabernacle, when the Lord says, don't have anybody but the Levites take it down and put it up or they'll die. Why? Because God's holy. And the Levites for the nation are those ministers. Back to Exodus 19, which we had a few weeks ago. Moses is on the mountain. People are gathered around the mountain, but not everybody's going up on it or they'll die. Why? Because God is setting the parameters on how he is to be engaged. But that's not it. That's not all. Because remember, the Lord makes no mistakes. It, it, seems, it seems interesting that there would be like a, a cloud. And if you're in our readings right now in Ezekiel, then you see the, the glory of the Lord leaving, right? Like, like that, that, it, the, the visible recognition of his presence, not with his people. But that's not it. That's not all that's going on. So 
right? They, they recognize God's presence as with them, and they worship him, they engage with him, right? They have specific ways that they are offering sacrifices and specific ways in which they are to minister. But there's even more going on than just giving ways for them to minister. Even more going on. So, we have to go past just the Old Testament imagery in order to get there. You might have heard this before. If not, you'll hear it now. So there's this phrase we get. Remember, the idea is dwelling. There's this phrase we get in the Gospel of John, chapter 1. It goes like this. You might have heard it before. We read it at Christmas time. It's like my favorite Christmas passage sermon. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is the only son for the Father, full, full of grace and truth. Now, we read that and go, okay, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But the idea of dwelling is actually an interesting idea which has at its root this verbal idea of, of tabernacling. You know that? Tabernacling. That, that John is making a connection between God's presence in the tabernacle and God's presence in his son. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Remember this, right? Our view of God is distant. God is not a distant God. He is a God who time and time again dwells with his people. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Set up shop was there. Tabernacled among us. My translation wouldn't say that. It's, the idea is dwelling. The connection, though, to tabernacle is there. And so the astute, you know, kind of Greek reader goes, oh, okay, God's presence. God's presence is with us. Well, I remember another, you know, fancy Christmas passage, Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel mean? Im anu el, God with us. God with us. Jesus is actually the the greater tabernacle. That's what's so cool about this. They set up in John as this one who tabernacled among us, but also his sacrifice provides us access that no one else would have been given. Listen to this in Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. So we're past death, burial, and resurrection, and now we're thinking about our faith in light of what the Lord has done in the person and work of Jesus. And Hebrews, the whole book of Hebrews is written to, seems to be a group of Jewish believers who were tempted to go back to their ways of Judaism. And so I've said before that Hebrews and Leviticus are kind of like Old Testament, New Testament sister books. Because what Hebrews is doing is taking the imagery that exists in the Old Testament and showing how Jesus is superior. But in Hebrews chapter 9, starting in verse 11, we read this. <clears throat> But when Christ appeared as our high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal Redemption. Now, if you're a Bible underliner and you have your Bible open, you can underline this part. Yeah, you have my permission. 
For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? And so what we have in the tabernacle is a place where God dwells and the sacrificial system as a way in which to interact with God and have your sins be forgiven, in a sense, temporarily, right? Like as you, as you lived and as you worked, have your sins be forgiven so you could interact with God. And their whole calendar, right, had days around it, festivals, feasts, sacrifices, the Day of Atonement, ways in which to engage for sins you know you commit and sins you have no idea you commit it. There's offerings for those as well. Sins you're aware of and sins you're unaware of. And so this whole system exists and God is there at the tabernacle and then later at the temple as the monarchy gets established and then becomes a divided kingdom, not soon after. But we have the author of Hebrews writing, looking back and saying, Jesus, ministering as the high priest... went through a greater and more perfect tent to offer sacrifice, a sacrifice, now sacrifice is to offer a sacrifice so that we can be forgiven. And then he goes to the sacrificial system, 13, 14. If the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more? For the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve a living and true God. Or serve serve the living God. Now that in and of itself is rather comforting. I'm just comforted. Why? Because I don't know of a person in this room. I mean, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is pretty cool. The way that all these connections happen and all these phases. But like that's still happening over basically, you know, 10 to 15 years. I have no idea how anyone other than God can create a system in the 1400s B.C. that then will be more fully understood... At the sacrifice of the Son of God, who had not been sent into the world at that time. Like, how does that story work itself out? So these are, these are one of the, the questions I ask, because I understand, and I'm sure people in this room too, right? You read parts of the scriptures, and you just go, man, I don't understand how that works. I don't know how this connects. This doesn't make any sense. Why would God do that? Why would God do that? I totally understand, kind of at a micro level, sometimes we get into the scriptures and we go, I'm not sure... Why, right? You're reading the tabernacle construction, you're just like, man, how many of these are there? There's a lot of those. How many pieces? How many threads? How many cords? What goes on Aaron's, you know, skirt? What's on the ephod? How does this work? And all those things kind of happen, and we get these questions. What I want to kind of come back with is, how in the world does this stay consistent? How does it stay consistent that we see the expectation of the contents of the tabernacle 
as the Lord commanded, all Moses did, God's presence with his people. But there's more coming. That the Son of God came into this world and dwelt among us, tabernacle among us, and through his sacrifice, we now are cleansed to the core once and for all. That the way in which ritualistic worship or sacrifice is to be done is not to be done anymore because the veil has been torn and we have access to God that no one else has had access to God like. Through the work of his son, by the sealing of his spirit, we have access to God unlike any other time in human history. We get that. Because God is working out his plans for the world. But here's what's great. Here's what's great. There's more to come. There's more to come. And here's what I mean. By show of hands, just kidding, no show of hands. How many of you had embarrassing sins this week? That if exposed, you'd be like, ooh, hope I can keep my marriage. Said something, thought something, did something that you know doesn't compute with who you are. All of us? All of us? So even though the Lord came and dwelt among us, and now through faith in Jesus, the Spirit comes and dwells in us, there's still this flesh and spirit battle that goes on day to day, where it still goes, man, I I still want something else. I still am longing for this time where I don't feel so conflicted. Where I'm glad to serve. Where I'm glad to be a part of my church family. Where I love what's going on. I, still, I don't feel conflicted. I don't feel bothered that there's just this open, joyful, glad worship of God. Where you still look maybe at your life. You look at your job, you look at your thoughts, you look at where you are in life, and you go, I didn't think I'd be here by now. Or yet, or still, however you want to line that up. And this is what's so important for us, this idea of hope. Is that if our emphasis was always, this is what's beautiful about the Christian message, if our emphasis was always on what has been done, with no idea on what is to come, well, then we're just always living in the past. I mean, I hope that was right. I don't know what's going to happen now, but I hope that was good, and I hope it doesn't change. But what has God given us in his scriptures but a picture of what is to come, an understanding of what will be, and you know what shows up again? God dwelling. The first two chapters of the Bible give us God dwelling with his people and people with God, but sin was a possibility. We are living in a Genesis 3 to Revelation 20 world where sin is a possibility. The last two chapters of the Bible give us a world where God dwells with his people, but sin is no longer a possibility. And so we're, we're, we begin and end with a world with God with his people in a way that we have not seen. 
But as we look to what is to come, we read this in Revelation 21. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold the, what's that word? Dwelling. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be as their God. Everything that we experience now, even with the Lord, is, is marred by our flesh. It's just so hard for us sometimes to just trust him. We have all these experiences and all these pains and all these frustrations, all these things, and we read the scriptures and we go, oh, I want that. But if we can remember, if we can remember that he's not done dwelling then it can change us even now and the fact that it's coming doesn't change but our attention to this world where God is dwelling with his people to see the consistent theme from Genesis to Revelation that God is dwelling he's dwelling he's dwelling even the dimensions of the holy of holies if you want to kind of go down a rabbit trail like the dimension of the holy of holies compared to the dimensions of the new Jerusalem like like there's this kind of idea that that we're moving to something where God is with his people in a way that they have never seen different than the tabernacle even different than now. But it's all who have believed with God and God with them, worshiping him forever. So Jesus is God's greater tabernacle, the one who dwelt among them, the one who allows for us to enter into the holies of holies, but also the one who will vanquish sin Satan and death. Three things that we are still dealing with so that we might dwell. He might dwell. We are there together with him. This is why as much joy as I want you to have and as much I want you to love your life because it's there for you in Christ. I want you to love every day. I still have no expectation that you will be totally fulfilled in this life. I mean, it sounds like, I, like, like that, that seems like rather doom and gloom, doesn't it? Well, I'm glad you're having a good day. It could be worse, could be better, not going to be as good as it will be. And what kind of bad advice is that? But when we recognize what is to come, and how even what is is going to pale in comparison to that, I tell you what, that can keep me going. Because I don't live with a worldview that this is all there is. Nor should you. That this is all there is. That my job is all that is. That my friends are like that, and that's just the way that it's going to be. No. God is moving. And we get day-to-day -day opportunities every single day to proclaim Jesus and that good news to others. We get to enjoy life knowing what is to come. 
But that's still really hard. It's still really hard sometimes to be in the hospital room knowing this might be the last time you see your mom on this earth. It's still really hard when you get a terminal diagnosis and you think of all the life that you still wanted to live. All the things you still wanted to do. The weddings you're not going to get to go to. The joys that you aren't going to have in this life. It still hurts when we see those things. But with our hearts firmly rooted in what is true. The first, God hasn't left me. That in fact, God is only successively dwelling with me more more closely that there's this day coming where sin is gone where death is gone where pain is gone and God's people are with him he is with them without fear of anything without worry of anything and so when we're reading Exodus and we're like I don't get the tabernacle what in the world is going on here? I'll tell you what's going on. God being with his people. And the beautiful thing is, honestly, for us, ever since the fall, Genesis chapter 3, I think we're going to be in that in two weeks. Ever since the fall, God has been coming to us. He's been coming to us because we don't seem to find him. We have the map and go, I'm not really sure where I am right now. I look a little lost, but God is coming to us. That is glorious news. And that's why it's so good to read about the tabernacle. And then so good to read about the incarnation. And then so good to read about the sacrifice that was given and what that means for our access to God. And then so good to read about the fact that he's not done. And that he will create a new heaven and a new earth. Sin, Satan, and death will be vanquished. And we will be with him. In ways we've never experienced. God isn't distant. He isn't unconcerned. He isn't far off. The Son of God was sent into this world to show us that. We can know him, and we can follow him, and we can wait for him in his return.